everybody, and welcome to the next episode of Martin Lechkas, uh, in my safe bed show. And I have the utmost pleasure and privilege to have Mr. Paul Buck on the show with me today. Paul and I have been, for the record, friends for quite some time. We've launched a number of projects together, so we will, of course, come on to that. But even more importantly, for those unlucky few who wouldn't have come across Paul just yet, he's the CEO and founder of an EPIC organization called EPIC Risk Management. So welcome on the show, Paul. Great to have you. Thank you, Martin. Absolute pleasure to be here. As I said, we've, uh, we've, we've known each other a while now, so it'd be good to sort of uh, share some of those experiences in the next half hour or so, I guess. Then that's much appreciated. Paul, and I will, of course, let him talk to it, has a very powerful life story. So I will delve right into it and address the proverbial elephant in the room. How does a nationwide top 1% bank manager, i.e. Mr. Paul Buck, end up in Her Majesty's prison, Kirkham. Yeah, it's, a, it's probably a very long story, Martin, but we could probably spend more than, more than half an hour on just, just talking about that. But in short, um, you know, between 2001 and 2011, I was a, a financial advisor and then a, a regional manager and divisional manager for Santander, so Europe's largest bank, uh, whilst at the same time sort of suffering what we class as a pathological gambling disorder or a gambling addiction in, in simpler terms. Uh, and during that decade, I transacted nearly £5 million across 93 different betting accounts, uh, lost £1.3 million, of which unfortunately nearly half a million pounds of that was the bank's, not mine. Uh, so the level of uh, addiction has sort of taken to a, to a level where I started taking money from the, from the bank that worked for me. So I think it shows the powerful nature of a gambling addiction for that, you know, small percentage, but, but significant number of people who do have problems with gambling. I was definitely one of them during that decade. And after handing myself in after a couple of quite major rock bottoms, um, I ended up uh, being sentenced to two years, eight months in prison uh, back in 2011. So, so just, just around 10 years ago now. Um, and, and, and yeah, that was kind of a very short version of the, of the, the reason I ended up in, in, in HMP Kirkham. These stories are, as I've said, both powerful, impressive, but also paint a picture that gambling addiction is a very, very slippery slope. So right of the bird go, let me thank you for all the work that you've been doing and what Epic Risk Management has been doing, if I may, most definitely on my own behalf, but also on behalf of the whole industry, because the industry does need people like you and we do need people like your team. The move from Kirkham to Epic, Epic Risk Management, arguably is one of, if not the leading problem gambling consultancy in the world. So do you mind telling us how, how it all started? What was the initial objective? And then we'll move on to talking about what happened next. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I suppose it goes back to the same place. You know, you're kind of away from your family and friends. Um, you know, you, you, your career's over, you, you've no money left sort of thing. And, and, and you know, you sat there in a, in a prison library teaching armed robbers to read and, and, and such, such, such things. Um, and you really got a decision to make, a life decision uh, to make around what do you do next. And, you know, the thing that struck me back in 2012 uh, in particular and, and, and going into 2013 was that, you know, really, for those people who were suffering with a problem, there really wasn't anything available to them until they'd actually 
you know, fallen off the edge of a cliff very cruelly, you know, very crudely, you know, they got the addiction, they were suffering from the addiction and all the, all the consequences that come with that. There was really nobody doing anything to try and stop that happening in the first place and trying to stop people getting to the edge of that cliff in the first place. And, and that's really where what I, I made a decision to do quite quickly um, um, after those rock bottoms and, and whilst in prison, really. Um, and really, it was go out there and, and, and try and stop people going down the same path that I did. And that really is true to this day. You know, we're not treatment providers. We don't claim to be something that we're not. You know, we are there as a company and there's 17 people now in our, it was 43 in the company, but there's 17 of us who've really suffered quite serious gambling addictions. And that the aim hasn't changed from day one, really, and that is to stop people going down the same paths that we did and, and working collaboratively in the sectors where most harm exists, statistically and evidentially, where we can go and make most impact and how we can prevent the most harm. So. So, so really, it came from that, that life decision of, of where do you go next after, after being convicted of, of fraud in many ways. How did you get to meet the guys that form your team these days? Because uh, as we both already said, it's by no means easy to come out with a life story that at least to some extent, revolves around gambling addiction. So I suppose you wouldn't be walking down the road of your hometown, you know, picking people off the street, come and work for me. So how did you manage to, or how did you pull that off? It's, it's been a really interesting journey for that. As I said, until Epic came along, there really wasn't any lived experience-led organizations uh, as such, certainly not working in the prevention space. And um, it's really happened like a snowball effect, really. You know, we, I, I, I guess I was the first person who came out and sort of started telling my story. We then started working with some high, quite high-profile companies uh, and organizations in, in the sectors that we work. And really, by getting my story out there, and then, um, you know, we, we, we had a professional rugby player, a guy called Mark Potter, who came on board, and uh, an ex-teacher and international cricketer, or professional cricketer, Patrick Foster, came along. Uh, and Scott Davis, an ex-footballer. So as we started telling our stories and we started getting it out there more in the open, I think two things happened, really. One is that stigma started to go, and there is a huge stigma attached to, to gambling addiction. You know, These days, really pretty much all around the world, men in particular, I think, are, are more comfortable now talking about depression and anxiety and other mental health problems. But there is still a huge stigma attached to gambling addiction. It's seen as a weakness. It's seen as, you know, most people can stay in control. Why can't I? And that kind of stops people coming out and telling the story. So the fact that the four or five of us originally were out there and doing that in quite high profile places like the English Football League and Chelsea and, and others like that, you know, it encouraged other people to come out and start talking about it. And that's a really healthy thing to happen, that people get treated earlier or recognize they have a problem earlier, the better. Um, and secondly, what it did, it gave people a platform to come forward and say, look, I've had this problem or I've got this problem. And in the first instance, you know, you can signpost them to the right treatment and the right intervention if that's still needed. Or in certain circumstances, and as I said, there's 17 of us now, it gives people that, people that platform to tell their story and to, to, to go and, and, you know, create some impact of their own under the Epic banner. And, and really, you know, for a lot of people, that, that's, that's a route that they want to go when you suffered the real hard end of this addiction. Yeah, it's something where you feel like you want to make a difference to the world afterwards. I think that certainly happened with me 10 years ago, and it continues to happen with the people who, who continue to join Epic, both in uh, the UK, uh, America, 
interest in Australia, Canada, and all these different places now, you know. So, so hopefully, the more people who can do it and talk about this and, 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 and have the bravery to do it, then, then the better. My next question is going to be best epic at as we speak. So feel free to promote the organization, call out some highlights. Yeah. Well, you know, as I said, Epic's always been, uh, mission has always been using lived experience to take the, to take the problem out of gambling. We're, we're, we're purely around prevention. And, you know, we started very much uh, as a one-man band, which soon became a two and three and four-man band. I mean, you know, we'd always made the commitment we were going to work in the, the highest risk sectors. And, and for us at the time, that was uh, elite sport. I don't think there's any secret, but there's a connection between sport and, and, and gambling. Um, it was financial services. So again, if you look at it statistically, the most harm of any sector anywhere in the world in, in, in almost all countries is in financial services with risk takers like financial advisors, which I used to be, uh, you know, hedge funds, fund managers, that kind of thing. Um, we worked in some of the toughest prisons. So we know there's a big problem in prisons in, in, with, with gambling. It's one of the fastest growing reasons that people are actually going to prison. Uh, the armed forces and also kids. So kids get educated on, you know, sex, drugs, alcohol, body image, stranger danger, and so on. But what the, there isn't really anything uh, formally in, in, in almost any country is, is any education around gambling. And, you know, again, it's not an anti-gambling message. It's not a gambling is bad message. But, it, you know, there is a significant number of people who suffer harm with it eventually. It's, 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 it's a fact. Um, so to go in and actually educate children in a more educated and impactful way uh, prevents harm further on down the line. So they were always the five sectors and we stuck to those sectors. And the only one we've added really is by working with some partners within the gambling industry. We don't work with everyone. Uh, we only work with those who, who genuinely prove to us and, so, and show that they want to make a difference uh, and makes it make it a more sustainable industry and a safer industry. Uh, and to do that, we very much believe in a collaborative approach. Um, and we know we do a lot of training now for gambling operator staff. We work with boards, as you said, we were with your board of Entain yesterday. Um, and we try and sort of influence safer gambling to be higher on the agenda um, across the board, really, in all of those sectors, including the gambling industry and, and very much having that collaborative uh, effect. So, you know, we've, we've risen to 43 people. We've worked in 27 countries now, which is pretty incredible when you say that from a, a one man band and where it came from. Uh, and obviously, the main focus of our work so far has been in the UK, which is going through an interesting time at the moment, uh, more and more so in the US, um, as you know, as, as again, going through an interesting time in, in a different way at the moment with the opening up of sports betting in states um, and, you know, different places around the world in Europe, like Malta, Gibraltar and, and, and Australia and places like that as well. So, you know, it's growing. It's growing fast. Um, I'd be quite happy if I could close Epic tomorrow if it meant that gambling wasn't a problem for people anymore. But the truth is that it is, it always will be uh, the same as any, any industry like this. Um, and we continue to grow. And I think it's that collaborative, authentic approach that, that is allowing that growth and asking more and encouraging more and more people to work with us. You've already alluded to numerous organizations, once again, all around the world that you've worked with. Football clubs in the UK, college professional sports, something we've worked on together in the US, Belgian football and so on and so forth, all these 27 countries. And I indeed could go on. But if you were to pick, with all due respect to all the other partners, three partners that are the closest to your heart and explain why that is the case would you mind we take all of our um, all of our relationships seriously uh, but i suppose the three that come to mind if you're looking at it from a sports angle 
uh, or a sports sport athlete education angle would really be the very first one we got. So the break that we got was with the Rugby Players Association in the UK. Um, and, um, you know, that was in 2016. And, and that was to go around and, and educate all the professional rugby players in the UK. So in the likes of Harlequins and Saracens and Newcastle and Sale Shark and even England Sevens and England Women to go around and kind of tell a story uh, and, and just educate people on what can happen with gambling if it gets out of control and how it can have an effect on their career and, and also their, their, their sort of livelihoods, if you like. So, so we, we continue to have that relationship at the moment with the Rugby Players Association. We've just signed another four-year contract with them as well. So I think that will always be special because it was the one that really gave that first platform to, to Epic to work in this space and where everything else came from. Um, I think the second one would probably be um, a programme we're doing uh, with the English Football League um, in the UK. So we work with all 72 clubs of the EFL, which is the, 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 the three divisions below the Premier League, as you know. And we work with them every club all, all every year. So it's, it's 72 visits every year. Um, and I think that has been pretty groundbreaking. You know, we started that in 2018 as part of the sponsorship deal that they have. Um, and, you know, we've worked with first teams, we've worked with academy players, which is which is almost more important because these are the young people, 18 to 23 year old, who are going into a professional environment, suddenly earning a lot of money in some cases, uh, having everything done for them. And they're also very competitive, prone to injury and, and that kind of thing. So, so a lot of the triggers that we know are there for gambling addiction are, are there. Um, but from the evaluation, we can see that that kind of education is working with the with the EFL. You can see a reducing amount of players each year who are maybe gambling problematically. We're seeing people present for treatment quicker, which is better because the, the quicker that you, 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 you recognize you have a problem and get help, it's usually less harm involved. Uh, so I think that program is pretty revolutionary and still to this point, um, probably the, the, the largest done in world sport. And I think the third one um, is really probably the college athletes that we work with in the US. Um, so, you know, as you know, we've been working with, with, with Entertainment Foundation um, uh, previous years with, around college athletes and going in and working with the, 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 the college athletes there. So uh, and then, you know, towards the end of last year, we've agreed a deal directly with the NCAA, so the National College Athletes Association, which is basically half a million student athletes at any one time. Um, and it's around, around 1,200 colleges in the U.S., and again, these are your sports athletes. These are your NFL stars of tomorrow. These are your MLB stars of tomorrow. You know, these are your Olympic athletes of tomorrow at places like Ohio State, Michigan State, Clemson, places like that. So in terms of, of um, stature of program and importance of program, I would say that NCAA one is absolutely right up there as well with, with, with the potential to reach half a million student athletes every year and on a recurring basis as, as obviously people come in and lose, uh, come in and, and leave. Um, I think the other importance with that is these guys in America, obviously, and girls, uh, they're not really old enough to, to gamble yet either. You know, with the 21 being the age, you know, a lot of these are 18, 19, 20. So to get that prevention and precautionary message in early uh, is even more important as they go off into their sort of competitive sports careers in many instances. Uh, you know, it's an important audience to hit. So, you know, it was a very unfair question, Martin, as you said, but but really, if I was going to go for three, it would be probably the RPA, the Rugby Players Association, the EFL and the, and the NCAA. But there's some really exciting ones in the offing as well with, with, with different sports around the world as well. So ask me again in 12 months and we'll see if they're still the same. 
and we've already touched upon the ongoing review of the 2005 UK Gambling Act and I reckon I would be definitely remiss in my duties to the industry if I didn't ask you about your views on that process because of course and for good reason you have been very heavily involved with it. So in a nutshell where do you think the process is currently headed and what, in your view, will the industry look like at the other side of it? Okay, so it's, it's, it's another really good question, which could be quite a, a detailed answer if we had if we had longer. But I think I think the first thing I would say is it's it's probably long overdue. You know, um, you know, I was I was a heavily addicted gambler when the last one was written uh, and came into act. You know, sort of between two thousand and three and two thousand and five, and. You know, gambling in those days was a very different beast to what it is now. You know, it was it was it was mainly in betting shops. You know, there wasn't the the, the constant online in play or all the different elements that the slots, etc., that there are now. So I think the first thing to say is it's definitely long overdue. You know, we need to bring the gambling act into into the digital age, uh, which is has been a common a common threat. Um, I think the other interesting element with it is is the way that the the kind of review has, has happened. We're still waiting, as, as we record now, we're still waiting for the white paper to come out, even though it's been promised for, um, you know, maybe half a year ago or, or, or even longer. And I think that shows the complexity of it because I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all. You know, some of the very common themes in there have been around football shirt sponsorships. Uh, you know, and I, I would be in favour of football shirt sponsorships probably probably not being there because, you know, it, 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 you know heroes wear it. Uh, the same thing as kids, you know, kids should be able to wear shirts that, 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 that the heroes wear that they watch. So I would agree with that. But I don't think it's a magic bullet. I think it's important, but I don't think it's a magic bullet. And I'm not sure there is one silver bullet that is going to solve problem gambling or, 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 or make gambling safer for all. It's a, it's, a, it's a combination of things ranging from affordability. Uh, so how do we find out, how do we make sure that people aren't, afford, uh, aren't spending any money that they can't afford to lose? How do we make sure they're not spending any time that they can't afford to lose? How do we make sure it's not taking over their kind of uh, cognition or, or, or brain space and, and, and they lose any, any, any sort of mental health side of it um, that they can't afford to lose, obviously? Um, so I think it's incredibly complex. And I think the reason it's taken that long is that so many people have had so many different opinions. The industry have obviously got one opinion, that the rate of gambling is going down, that they're doing more and more than they've ever done before. Uh, to, 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 to stop problem gambling and, and, and increase safer gambling. You've obviously got a very vocal and educated um, set of people on the other side, from, from, from um, you know, medical people to, um, to, to, gambler, to uh, gambling campaigners, to uh, people with lived experience. So you've got people right at the other end who, who believe in much firmer measures are needed and actually you know, doubt some of the figures that are out there that gambling's coming down and so on. And it's become quite polarized. And I think that's another reason that I think that the, the, the white paper is taking so long because there's such differential in views and not that much collaboration or, or collaborative talks between the two. Um, so I think it's very complicated. Even when the white paper comes out, I, I think it will probably be a position where nobody's still happy. I think the industry will probably think it's gone too far. I think the, the, the campaigners and, uh, and, and, and people at the other end of the spectrum will think it's not gone far enough. Um, and reality, you know, it's going to be something that I think doesn't please anyone uh, in the end. And, and that's a sad nature. But it is incredibly complex. If it was easy, I think it would have been kind of done and dusted by now. So it's going to be really interesting to see how far it goes. Um, but I think, you know, ultimately, 
as I said before, there'll always be some level of harm from gambling. And I think that's why that collaborative nature is the way that it should be, that everyone should have some collective responsibility to, to try and combat that. Thank you for the very thorough and spot-on answer. In my view, it's very clear that if Paul been running Epic Risk Management, he could be a diplomat and be with the foreign office. Talking about foreign lands, let's move on to talking a, to, to talk a little bit about what's shaping up to be the new promised land, if you will, of sports betting, namely America. And by that, I mean both the United States and the likes of Ontario. I'm sure my friends in Ontario would be rather displeased with me because of having lumped them together with their southern neighbours. But I shall digress. But as you've just explained yourself, you've clearly been with the UK industry through its thick and thin and let's see how it pans out going forward. But through these particular lenses, what is your stance on the US sports betting bonanza of late, it would appear? And once again, this may be a loaded question. Have you seen responsible gambling gaining more and more prominence throughout the industry? And if that's the case, how does this trend manifest itself to you? It's a really interesting point. You know, I often get asked when I, when I, you know, doing interviews or panels or, or media, you know, what is it that keeps you awake at night? Uh, and it always used to be sort of a UK-related answer or it used to be an Epic-related answer. And I think, I think the, the honest answer to you now is, is the thing that keeps me awake at night at the moment is the, is the position in the US. Uh, you know, we're doing more and more work over there um, with, with different audiences from college athletes to major league sports to... Uh, you know, a number of different industries. Um, and what I see worries me in a, in a few ways, really, because at the moment um, it's growing fast. As you said, you know, the number of states who are legalizing for sports betting is, is increasing dramatically. Um, there doesn't feel like there's anything like enough provision being put in place for research, education and treatment. You know, some, some of these states haven't even got a gambling fund or, or a problem gambling fund. Um, and if they have, it's, it's, it's not, not distributed as efficiently as it, as it may do. Um, there doesn't feel like there's a, a great treatment network. I know there's some organizations out there who are trying to fix that and so on. But, you know, for the amount of people who are going to suffer issues with gambling, there probably isn't a treatment network that's safe, that's, that's fit for purpose. Um, there's very little education out there. I know there's, there's efforts being made by, you know, different councils and, you know, Epic's certainly going to do its bit in, in, the, in the highest risk sectors like we have in the UK and around the world. But it doesn't feel like there's a huge amount of education and, and, and awareness going on um, beyond a, a very small pool of, of organisations. Um, and research, you know, that's probably one area where there is quite a bit of research going on with, 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 with some prominent researchers over there, including at, at Harvard and, and, and UNLV and others. Um, but it does feel that the industry is growing a lot faster than you know, safer gambling or sustainable gambling efforts are. And, you know, there is some exceptions to that. I know, you know, your very own foundation is doing an awful lot and leading the way on that. And, and, and some of that's with us. Um, but it doesn't feel that there is the same growth in, 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 in safer gambling or sustainable gambling player protection efforts as there is in the actual industry itself. And the worry with that is that it may be... Um, goes along the same path as maybe the UK have. We've just talked about the UK where self-regulation um, was attempted and has been attempted for, for, for over a decade. Uh, it's maybe not um, 
worked to the extent it should have done. If 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 if, if the truth be told, it's, I think it's better now than it was. But but maybe in previous years it hasn't, and that's how it's now got to a stage where politicians will make the decision and. And, and, and not not the industry themselves are kind of having some of that taken away from them. And I think for the US, they've got an opportunity at the moment to be the largest and most successful gambling industry in the world, but also the safest. And what I'm not seeing at the moment is that safest bit. You know, there are some efforts from some operators and there's some good people in the space, but overall, I think the gambling industry is is growing far faster than any kind of um, safer gambling efforts are, uh, and that's my big worry. You know, do, does does America waste the opportunity that it's got to be the market leader and, and to have the most successful opera, um, successful gambling industry in the world, but also the safest? Because all I'm seeing now is risk free bets, uh, VIP clubs, all this kind of thing, which we've seen before in, in, in other jurisdictions, um, and I think America, in, in in all honesty, is in danger of being. Uh, killing the goose that lays the golden egg. You know, if it doesn't take sustainable gambling seriously and it doesn't protect its players and it doesn't moderate its adverts and free bet offers or risk-free bet offers and things like that, eventually public opinion will turn, eventually politicians will get involved and eventually, you know, the, the, the regulation will, will come at a much greater, a much greater amount than it would be if you tried, did, did the right things properly now. So, so that would be my worry right now. There's going to be an awful lot of harm in America if, if, if the direction of travel doesn't change and, and these kind of player protection efforts, harm prevention efforts don't, don't increase. And indeed, Paul and I and a few, a growing few, I would say, number of others have been on this journey, have embarked on the journey to try to change all that and, if that's possible, help America help itself. Talking about, and let me move on before giving Paul the usual 60 seconds I give my guests to wrap it all up. You're a borderline, well, scratch the borderline, you're a fanatical Dallas Cowboys fan. So do you believe that, as you told me, just like you at Phil Thompson's charity golf tournament, Duck and Zeke, can finally get lucky and score their hole in one this season? I, I, as you know, Martin, I thought the Cowboys would win it last year, uh, and I was sadly wrong. We, we, we came grinding to a halt to the, the 49ers very early on in the playoffs, and I'm, I'm, I'm blindly loyal to the teams that I support uh, across the board, really. Um, I'll, always be, I'll always be a Cowboys fan, um, I, I think, and, and you know, hopefully uh, start working with them this year in one way or another in, in a different way. But uh, will they win the Super Bowl this year? Um, I'm less confident than I was last year, but I think we'll win our division. Uh, dare I say, considering some of your previous guests on here, I think we'll be the strongest in our in our division. Uh, but will we actually win the uh, Super Bowl? I'm not sure. I've got a horrible feeling we'll get to the playoffs and get get knocked out by one too strong uh, quite quickly in that process. Unfortunately, in a similar vein, if that's even possible, your passion for one of the two invincible teams of English football, namely Preston North End. Bit of a distant memory, but yeah, they're one of the two invincibles. Very likely even beats your Cowboys-related madness. So do you reckon we shall see PNE in the Premier League anytime soon? Well, I'm, I'm probably thinking that a lot of people who are listening to this probably don't even know who Preston North End are, but you're quite right. They were the original invincibles. Everyone talks about Arsenal. 
um, and the and the, the famous team uh, more recently who were the Invincibles, but Preston were the original Invincibles in 1888. Uh, sorry, 1880-1881, and um, you know it was probably the last time we had a decent team to be fair. But but um, you know we 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 hover around the Championship, uh, which is the, the league below the Premier League, obviously. Uh, we're usually somewhere between 10th and 12th, uh, something like that. Uh, we've not really threatened the Premier League since uh, for about 10 years when we lost to West Ham in, in, in the final at that point. Um, we have got a promising young manager. We are spending some decent, uh, some decent money for, for a change, I think. Um, whether we'll be good enough to get in the Premier League, maybe not this year. Uh, they may surprise me. But certainly in the next five, as I said, I'm blindly optimistic um, and, and, and hopefully in the next five we might be able to trouble it and, and get up there with the big boys and, and, and see, if we can, see if we can stay there. Ladies and gentlemen, now is the time for Paul to shine even more, 60 seconds to convey his key messages, please. It's all, the stage is yours. You know, I suppose what I would say is that most people, let's not forget, most people can gamble and can stay in control of time, money, cognition. So the three elements of, of, of gambling, I think. However, a small percentage but significant number of people cannot, and it can obviously lead to devastating consequences. So my urge really within this 60 seconds was in the UK, let's get the gambling act right. Let's make it realistic. Let's make sure those who want to gamble and can stay in control can. For those who can't, let's make sure the right protective measures are there. In the US, let's make sure that safer gambling, sustainable gambling, responsible gambling, you know, it grows just as fast as the industry so that we prevent some of the harms that we've seen in other places uh, and attract people to a regulated market rather than the, the black market, if you like. And I think for me, it's all about collaboration. You know, everybody's got their part to play in that, from regulators to politicians uh, to media to organizations like Epic and, and, and others who, who work in this space. And also the individual themselves making use of tools that are available to them. And I think for me, that's the only way really that gambling can, can remain sustainable uh, both now and in the future. Very wise words as always. Thank you very much for coming on to the show, Paul. Ladies and gentlemen, we've had the privilege and pleasure of having Paul back on what is, I'm told, the 14th episode of the Save Bet Show. So thank you. Very much. Um, my name is Martin Lichka. I'm hosting it. I will go on hosting it. And I look forward to seeing you here very, very soon. Take care.